book of Exodus, chapter 17. We've been in a series on Bible characters. We will kind of, sort of get away from that just for a night, but we'll still be dealing with a Bible character, Moses, who we have addressed before in regards to his parents who, and his mom, and uh, their protecting him, and God providentially preserved his life as a baby, and uh, we're familiar with that story. So we dealt a little bit with Moses' life from that standpoint. Tonight we're going to look at the simple tool that Moses held in his hand for much of his ministry, and we know that as the rod of Moses. We'll look at five lessons from a simple tool that God had Moses carry that Moses would use throughout his ministry, throughout his life, and some lessons that we can glean from this tool. Exodus 17 and verse number 9, And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God, In mine hand. Isn't that interesting that the rod is referred to as the rod of God? This is one of the four periods of time in the Bible that we see God giving men supernatural, miracle working, or sign working abilities. The period of time of Moses and his ministry, also in the time of Elijah and Elisha. And then Jesus and the apostles, and then there will be a future time in Revelation with the two prophets. Those are the only four times in the Bible that we see the outpouring of supernatural abilities or the outwork of supernatural providential sign gifts or supernatural type of work done through the hands of an individual, a human being, a gifted man. This is one of those four times, Moses being the the first of those four. This tool, this rod, was not a magic wand. It, It did not have any magic powers in and of itself. It wasn't if you turned it a certain way or like a baton, you twisted it around and then you said the right words at just the right time and held it in just the right way. Then pixie dust would fly out of it and... Presto changeo, something miraculous would happen. It doesn't work that way. That's not what this was. This rod in Moses' hand would have been a simple, probably shepherd's type of staff. It was not a magic wand in any sense of what we think of from maybe a cartoon or a series of movies or whatever Disney or Hollywood can come up with. That's often what we think of. Moses' rod, his shepherd's staff, was not a magic wand. We know that God did initiate miracles through Moses. God informed of, God often informed Moses of the miracle in advance. And this rod would simply just be a tool or really a symbol of God's personal and powerful involvement in the affairs of men. Moses' outstretched arms in Exodus 17 would be symbolic 
of a dependence upon God and of an appeal by humble men depending upon God for victory. So let's look at five lessons from the rod of Moses. First of all, we see the rod of Moses in Exodus chapter number 2 as an instrument of service and a place of preparation. In Exodus 2, we know that Moses had to flee from Egypt. He had grown up. We are familiar with the passage in Hebrews 11 that Moses chose what? Rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. What does that say about what was going on in Egypt? What does that say about what was available for Moses? Should he choose to go the way of the Egyptians, the way that his upbringing would have sent him by the fact that he grew up going probably to Egyptian schools to some degree, though we know that God providentially spared his life and his mom was involved in weaning him. We know that he probably went to Egyptian schools. He probably had a fair amount of pagan influence from Egypt. Yet Moses remained faithful His character was strong, and he had his eyes on the Lord. But he got a little ahead of God, didn't he? As we sometimes do, Moses looked and he saw the slave master, and he was being cruel to the Hebrew slave. And Moses did what? He went out and he tried to take things into his own hands, and he killed that slave master, that taskmaster. And so what did God have Moses do? He spent the next 40 years in a place of preparation. He ended up in Midian, and he was a shepherd. He served his father-in-law as a shepherd. No doubt that's where he first picked up that staff, that rod. We know that he had one because in Exodus 4, in verse number 2, as Moses is in the conversation with God at the burning bush, and God is calling Moses and sending him back to Egypt to lead the Israelites out, he mentions in Exodus 4 and verse number 2, what is that in thine hand? And Moses says, a rod. So we know he had a rod. We know that it was customary for shepherds to have a shepherd's staff, a rod of sorts. They would use that to pull in the sheep, or to make some sort of uh, motion, or to tap them, or to uh, use that as a tool in their shepherding services, in their shepherding work. So we know he probably had this shepherd's rod, this staff as a shepherd out there with the sheep. We know that in Exodus 4 and verse 2 it was in his hand there at the burning bush, And we see that this rod was an instrument of service in this place that God was using to prepare Moses for a tremendous task of leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And for application, we can't help but think of the various tools, talents, abilities that God, in a sense, places in our hand. Sometimes... Preparation is thought of only in the time of growing up as a child, teenage years, college years. But there are times of preparation even in our adult years. And we, we, 
emphasize to our young people, and we should, to be right now preparing yourself for marriage, for adulthood with all of its responsibilities. We talk about managing finances. We have relationships. But that preparation has to ultimately be developed by the word of God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to form within us moral character and integrity. So whatever talent, ability, whatever God in a sense places in our hand that he is preparing us to use, we are ultimately taking that tool and we are saying, God, use this. This gift, this talent, this ability. It may be an area of intellect and education. It may be a certain ability when it comes to speaking. It may come with a specific hand type of skill. It could be in everything from music to medicine to law. Numerous ways in which God has us with a, a talent, with an ability And he wants us to use that as stewards, as faithful stewards for his honor and for his glory, for evangelizing the lost, for edifying the body of Christ. And we should look at each place that God puts us as a place that we can serve. As that song says, brighten the corner where you are. And we need to brighten the corner wherever God places us, even if it's a time of preparation that seems at First, maybe, as a diversion, as uh, a wasted opportunity or wasted time. But when God redirects our steps, we have an idea. Moses had an idea. I'm going to take on the Egyptians. I'm going to throw off the taskmasters, and I'm going to lead Israel into victory. And God said, wait a second, you're getting ahead of me. You're trying to do it your way. I want you to go to the wilderness for 40 years, and I want you to be a shepherd. There's a lot of things you need to learn. He had been in the pomp and the circumstance, I would imagine. I would imagine he had some pretty good meals, clothing, and some fair amount of privilege as the, Egyptian, as the Pharaoh's daughter, right? So now he needed to learn service and humility. He needed to learn what it was like to deal with a bunch of dumb sheep. Because was he not going to be dealing with a bunch of dumb Israelites sometimes? <laughs> and we, we better not say too much about the Israelites, right? Because we find ourselves doing some of the same things, having the same lack of faith, complaining, etc. So Moses had a lot of preparation. No doubt God used that time in the wilderness. And that rod reminds us of how God prepares us. It was an instrument of service and a place of preparation. And then we see the rod as an instrument of clarity and a place of calling. Exodus 4, in verse 1, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. God had already told Moses what he wanted him to do. He even said, I will use you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses began to say, but whoa, wait a minute, God. How do, you know, how do I know that they will even believe what I have to say? 
And you know in Exodus 3, there's that great passage in Exodus 3 and verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And Jesus would even use that same phrase. And we talked about that studying through the book of John and the proof text of the deity of Christ and the way even Jesus referenced that statement, that name for God, I am that I am. And yet Moses was struggling. And he even said, I'm not a man of of good speech, and I don't think that, it, that Pharaoh would listen to me, the Israelites would listen to me, and we know that Moses eventually was allowed to bring Aaron along, and of course Aaron had his own issues. But we see in Exodus 4, as this rod was in Moses' hand, it became an instrument of clarity in this place of calling. Because what did Moses do with that rod? As a sign, as God in his providence said, okay, I'm going to make it very clear to you. Throw that rod down. And what happened to it? It became a snake. And he fled from it, as most of us would, right? I, uh, once in a while, I reach in the cage in our basement where Chandler's snake is. And Indy's getting big. He's getting good and thick. He needs, he needs another rat this week. So that's going to be fun. But I reach in the cage and I change his water. I change out. He's gotten so big, he's outgrown his rock. And I had to put in a different rock that he could fit under. And I pulled him out last week and I brought him upstairs. And uh, he's, he's a very pretty albino ball python. And, of course, Chandler, when we were down there, he was asking about how his snake was doing. And we were, we were talking to him about that. And most of us, though, we see a snake out in the wild. We're running. We're getting away. Moses, of course, was astonished by the fact that his rod became a snake. As Christians, we're not to be superstitious. Uh, It's one thing that we have to watch out for. Have you ever met a Christian who's superstitious? And they're almost like walking around in life. And they're, they're trying to find hidden meanings behind every little thing that happens. And some people, they get really ridiculous about it. And they won't walk under a ladder because they'll cause some sort of jinx, they won't step on a crack because they might break their mother's back or whatever those (laughs) things that people came up with through the years, right? And, And I just refuse to be controlled by superstition. But some people, they're more controlled by superstition than they are by the Word of God. We shouldn't be superstitious Christians. Moses had been told by God what God's will was for him to do. Yeah, Moses was struggling, and in his providence, like with Gideon, what did Gideon do? He had the, uh, the, the wool out there and the fleece, and he was trying to test God, so to speak, and say, if you really mean what you say, God, God had already told Gideon, God had already told Moses, but in his graciousness, in his mercy, in his providence, he gave them additional signs. The fleece was wet, the ground was dry, the ground was wet, the fleece was dry, In Moses' case, he threw the rod down, it became a serpent, and then there there was the the hand put inside his robe, and it came out leprous, and then there was, uh, I believe there was the pouring of the water, and it became blood, and I just jumped ahead in my, my slide. All of these were additional signs that provided clarity in the midst of this call to go. And I'm sure there was fear and trepidation on Moses' part. We can't get too critical of Moses here. 
Because how many times has God made it clear what we should do and we struggle with it? Really, God? You don't want me to teach that Sunday school class. Really, God, you don't want me to move there, go there, do that, serve in that way. Really, Lord? I know that's the good thing that you want me to do. And to him that do it, to, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. But really, me? Don't you know how much I how hard I work for that? We get we get into those, some of those same excuses, don't we? We have to be careful. If we're not careful, we'll be critical of Gideon and Moses, and we'll find ourselves questioning the will of God and asking for additional signs. And if we're not careful, we will become disobedient in what is very clear from the word of God and applying the principles, the commands, and the promises, knowing that it is of the Lord that we are led to do this, that someone has come to us or we see the need and we know we should step into that gap and fill it or whatever it is that God has for us to do, and we hesitate. And if we're not careful, we'll become disobedient. So I don't want to be overly critical of Moses, but he was struggling. And in one way, God provided clarity in his mercy and his grace as God is so gracious and mercy to us. When we're struggling with what he has called us to do, God is good to us and gracious to us. And many times he gives us that extra little prompt. He brings that other person. We're not looking for a stick in our hand to become a snake. We're not looking for our hand to become leprous and put it back in our robe. We're not looking for water to be turned into blood. We're not looking for a sign and a wonder and some supernatural revelation in the sky. That's not what we're looking for. We're trusting God. We're applying his word. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are submitting ourselves to the word of God, to God's work, to the Holy Spirit, and to God's leadership in our life. And we see God take care of our needs. We see God use us where we never thought that we could. We see God, and it's ultimately to his glory. And we step out in faith, and we believe, and we obey, and God provides. God blesses. God meets that need. God uses us in spite of ourselves to help others, to meet needs, to win someone to Christ, to share the gospel, to edify, to serve. Thirdly, we see that this rod is an instrument of significance, an instrument of significance in a place of confrontation. Exodus chapter 7, which we had time to read, verses 14 through 25, but now Moses and Aaron are in front of Pharaoh and his black magicians, his magicians practicing black magic, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Do we understand and I, I won't be able to finish all five principles, so that's okay. We understand that there really is no such thing as good magic, right? Okay, I understand that there's this fictional stuff, and we have a little bit of fun with this stuff, and I'm not here to get into all that. But we're, there really is no such thing as, I know they call it white magic and black magic, and the white magic's supposed to be good, and black magic's supposed to be, there really is no such thing as good magic. Okay, there's, there's God, or there's, the sleight of hand, the trickery, the people who are really good at the sleight of hand, the magicians that do the the coin from out behind your ear and all that, the David Copperfield stuff. Does anybody even know what I'm talking about? And he makes the whole 
Empire State Building disappeared and all that silly stuff, okay? There's that, and then there's the real demonic stuff. That, that's dangerous, in entering into a spirit world that brings demonic oppression and possession, all that, that we need to stay away from, okay? Here is the Egyptian pagan magicians. Moses has come with Aaron to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. We come to verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink. Against he come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thine hand. Here's that rod again. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. We see the rod as an instrument of significance in a place of confrontation. Here the rod is miraculously transformed by God into a snake. It is also used to smite the water. It turns into blood. And we see this rod of God in Moses' hand being a symbol of God's significance, God's miraculous ability, God's sovereignty, God's providence, and a small taste of God's coming judgment upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. This is the rod in Moses' hand that he would later then use to put over the water to part the Red Sea, and then to do what? To put over the water to close the Red Sea upon those Egyptians. We won't have time to get into all five of these lessons, but we see here in Moses' hand this rod, a symbol Showing to the Pharaoh that God is in charge. Now, the magicians, they were able to do a certain amount of repetitive or they were able to kind of sort of copy the initial signs. But isn't it interesting that though they may have been able to, by some sort of maybe demonic power, at least make it look like they're rods turned into snakes or maybe possibly they actually did by demonic power the water maybe being turned into blood or at least looking that way okay so these magicians could do some amount of copying or through some trickery or through some demonic activity but isn't it interesting they couldn't stop any of the plagues the egyptian magicians couldn't turn that bloody water back into fresh water they had to go and dig other wells and then isn't it interesting that when the ten, ten plagues came, they were able to copy uh, initially, what, one or two of them, but then the rest of them, they couldn't do anything about. They couldn't copy them, nor could they stop them. And what was God doing? He was showing his power, his sovereignty, his, his providence. He was showing that he is Lord of lords, that he is king of kings, that he is overall in every single one of those plagues would be a direct contradiction to a God of the Egyptians because they worshiped the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. 
and all of those frogs and lice and everything else. That was part of what they believed their gods could do. And God overruled all of those and overthrew all of those and used all those against the Egyptians. And this was just the beginning of it. And it was an instrument, the rod was just an instrument, a symbol. It wasn't Moses who clicked his heels just right, who spun that rod just the right way and said just the right incantations and you know, or anything like that. And then all of a sudden these things happened. No, it was simply a symbol as Moses trusted God and believed God. And he was showing the significance of God's power. And I don't know what's going to happen in the Middle East. I don't know what's going to happen with the war in Israel. But Israel will not be annihilated. And I am waiting for God to once again show himself strong and to put to flight the evil of Hezbollah and Islam and Hamas and all of that false religion that is diametrically opposed ultimately against God himself. And God is going to laugh, Psalm 2 says, and put them in derision. They will not annihilate Israel. We don't know exactly how God's going to play all this out. But we know that one day, Jesus Christ will rule and reign with a rod of iron from Jerusalem for a thousand years, literally, and then into the eternal kingdom. And we're thankful that God will overrule will overcome and will be victorious. Just like he did with Moses and the Israelites, God will overrule and overcome all of the evil that is ultimately against God. Why is Israel hated so much? Because they're God's chosen people. We don't know exactly how God's going to use all this and play all this out, but we know that God will ultimately be the victor. And the rod is just a small symbol, a tool, but it's something that reminds us of the significance of God and his power and his ultimate rule and reign over the universe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this simple tool that is just a, a symbol in Moses' hand of your great power, your omnipotence, your omniscience, your Omniscience, Lord, and omnipresence, Lord, it's just a, a, a piece of wood. But, Lord, it was a symbol that in Moses' hand, by your power and by your strength, was used in significant ways. Help give clarity to your call in Moses' life. Lord, it was a significant sign to Pharaoh of the coming judgment, should he not obey. And we know, Lord, the accounts there of how he refused and his stubbornness and he brought judgment upon Egypt and delivered Israel. Lord, we know that you will deliver Israel again. How exactly through this war, we don't know, but we know that ultimately you will deliver Israel. You will deliver your people, Lord, as believers. Lord, we're crying out, praying for the peace of Israel, for Jerusalem, that they would know God's peace, first of all, and that they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But Lord, we also pray, Lord, for your protection. Pray, Lord, that you will put to uh, derision, put to flight the, 
the evil uh, desires and plans of the enemy, that, Lord, they will be put down. We know that ultimately, Lord, the victory belongs to you. And we thank you, Lord, for these lessons that we can learn, even from the life of Moses and how that rod was a symbol of your great strength and your power and even of judgment. And, Lord, may we give every talent, every ability, uh, everything that we have, Lord, may we give it back to you to be used by you in faithfulness as stewards. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. I hope that you have a great rest of the week. And we look forward to being with the men on Saturday and then back in church on Sunday.